Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The argument essentially was that a person who was terminally ill should be able to have as an option the right to physician-assisted death if that person wished in order to not prolong the suffering that they were experiencing, such as loss of dignity, pain, etc., as the disease progressed. That was the voice of Chris Considine and... uh... I got to know Chris in the early 90s when Sue Rodriguez, who was dying of ALS, this is not easy stuff to talk about, but it's also something that shouldn't be avoided. And Sue Rodriguez was dying of ALS, and she wanted a physician-assisted death. And Mr. Considine, who's an excellent lawyer and and a really good guy, he represented Ms. Rodriguez to the best of his professional and personal ability all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, and argued, I thought, very persuasively that a person should have the right to what we now call medical assistance in dying. And in the early 90s, you can correct me on this, I'm just going by memory, it might have been 92 or 93, the Supreme Court of Canada decided by a five to four count to not permit physician-assisted death, five to four. That's how close it was. Had it been five to four in the other direction, we wouldn't have had 35 years of people dying under very difficult circumstances when they really wanted to have an assisted death. And it's been in the news over the last week or two again because the issue of mental illness being uh, the... um, decision-maker for someone choosing made. So, and it's a tough thing for people, some people, to even talk about. So I, I tweeted out today, or X'd out today, sorry, Elon. I uh, X'd, I don't want to piss off a guy that's got $243 billion. I want one of those cars free. Uh, not really, I like my beast. So I, uh, I te- X'd out, <laughs> sounds like I crossed something out. I X'd that at Doc S. Green will be on the show today on MAID as medical assistance in dying remains so publicly contentious. Again, this week. And I added, as someone living with stage four cancer, let me say safeguards are fine, roadblocks are not. And and even though, I mean, you, you were all wonderful when I was in the hospital last year and I was trying to keep people up to date on what was going on and how close a call it was for me. But when we get into something like this, where you put it on social media, it's, it's difficult for people to 
to respond to. And I understand that. I would have difficulty too. What do I say? What do I say to Roy? Why is he doing this? The reason I'm doing it, and I told you this going in, is that I'm hoping that by talking about it freely and with, with people like my friend Todd Seals, who's lived for 17 years with metastatic prostate cancer, when they gave him just months, I'm hoping that we'll be able to persuade some men in this country to not ignore symptoms and go see their doctors and get PSA tests. Don't wind up like I did because I was stupid. And here I am with stage four metastatic prostate cancer. And so I think about, not all the time, not every day, and I'm feeling fine. I really feel fine. But I think about medical assistance and dying. And I've made my decision on it. And if you listen to me at all, you can pretty well guess what my decision is. So we're joined by Dr. Stephanie Green. She's the co-founder and president of the Canadian Association of Maid Assessors and Providers. She's a medical advisor to the British Columbia Ministry of Health Maid Oversight Committee and a member of the clinical faculty at UBC and the University of Victoria. And her book is This is Assisted Dying, a doctor's story of empowering patients at the end of life. Dr. Green, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, good to be here. And uh, Roy, I am sorry to hear of your new diagnosis. Well, thank you. I promised, I w- promised myself I wouldn't ask you, how are you? And I usually <laughs> do that with doctors. <laughs> <laughs> still standing is the answer. How yeah, about you? <laughs> yeah, good, good. I keep saying I'm still on the right side of the carpet. But, you know, life is what it is, and we make of it what we can. Yes. And uh, as long as we have energy and desire to continue, I think that, that means a great deal, ultimately. I but agree. Can you share with us what the law is now as far as medical assistance in dying is concerned? What are the what are the factors that you have to satisfy? Yeah, so overall they haven't changed greatly despite uh, what the headlines scream. It's kind of been mostly the same, but certainly since 2021 when there was an amendment to the law. There's there's essentially five things that need to be true if you want to qualify for an assisted death in this country. You do need to be an adult over 18. You do need to have government-funded health care or be eligible for government-funded health care, so no tourists. You do need to make a voluntary request, so nobody has encouraged you to make this decision. You do need to have the capacity to make this request, so you need to understand what's wrong with you and what your treatment options are and, and uh, kind of appreciate the whole situation you're in so that you can give an informed consent to the process. And you need to have what the law calls a grievous and irremediable condition. And that's really the crux of the matter, where the law actually is very clear about what that means. It means three things need to be true on top of all the ones that I've just mentioned, that you have a serious and incurable illness, disease, or disability, that you are already in an advanced state of decline, uh, mostly in function is what we mean, and that you're you're enduring a suffering, that you're suffering in a way that you yourself believe is intolerable and not able to be relieved in any way that you find acceptable. So it's quite a bit. There's quite a rigorous uh, program in place. Yeah. What is made? What happens? What is made? Well, it's, you know, the process itself, as medical assistance in dying is, is an event that uh, where people have been able to choose when and where and with whom they're going to die. 
how that actually looks can be very, very individual. But from a nuts and bolts point of view, um, it's the administration of medication that is going to cause the end of life. That could be self-administered. It could be a liquid uh, medication that the patient themselves holds on to and drinks that causes their death over the course of about half an hour. Or more commonly in Canada, it's the administration of intravenous medications by the clinician. It could be a doctor or a nurse practitioner. And they give a series of a, a prescription, usually of four medications, that will place the patient in a, into a very comfortable sleep and then into a much more deep coma, a comatose state, and eventually will cause the end of their life. And that's usually a, a more controlled, kind of shorter event, about eight to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But that's really, you know, the nuts and bolts of what it is. Okay. So I, I, I guess I'm going to go back to the previous question with this uh, and answer with this question. Sure. Um, one of the concerns that I hear expressed is, well, people are going to be pushed, nudged, persuaded that they should, in fact, engage made. And maybe that's going to be done because somebody greedy wants to get at an inheritance. You've heard all this. Sure. Sure. What do you, what do you say to that? What are the safeguards? And maybe you maybe it's all part and package of what you explained to us a few minutes ago. But, well, but I, I mean, I think it's a valid question and a valid concern. And I, you know, interesting. We, we've had made we've had assisted dying in Canada for seven and a half years now. We have annual uh, reports, lots of data at this point. There is zero evidence of that claim. Uh, which is interesting, uh, over the past seven and a half years. I'm not surprised at that because I, I know the clinicians that do this work and the careful and cautious nature that they work. But essentially, what you're saying is, you know, people are suggesting that people might be coerced into this by a, you know, an angry spouse or a greedy child or a, you know, a, a friend who has some sort of incentive. In fact, as I mentioned, this, this does need to be a voluntary request by the patient only by the patient. It cannot be triggered by anyone else. And part of my job is to establish that it is voluntary, that it's consistent with what the patient has always kind of thought about end of life and consistent with their wishes and that they're able to express themselves clearly about why they want it and make a kind of a logical argument for them why it makes sense to have private time with the patient to hear them out and to you know investigate the story and the records and speak to the people in their lives. Um, you know, to suggest that someone could trick the clinician into thinking it's that when it's not is is, is extremely unlikely, and there's certainly no evidence of of ever seeing that. Yeah, the, the the three factors that you mentioned, I would only qualify for the first one. So, so the one so, that you that you have a serious yeah that I have a serious stability right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're not yet in an advanced state of decline from what I know about. No, I'm not. And you're happily not suffering at this point. I'm not. Fantastic. You know, at some point, those things may change, but hopefully very long time from now. And and hopefully, I, I think that one of the hopes is that, you know, if you're connected to the medical and the healthcare system, if you're being followed and cared for, that as symptoms and decline arise, that we can answer that with Good symptom control, good supportive care, uh, sometimes with active and aggressive care, but to the point that you don't ever get to the point of intolerable suffering. Many people will kind of ask for MAID and be followed along in fear of what's to come, but do find they find the resources they need so they never get to the place of intolerable suffering and never really, never, never invoking MAID. They have a natural death with good supportive care, and that's, that's a win also. 
Dr. Green, when it comes to the issue of mental health or mental illness being the sole determinant for MAID, what do you say? Well, I think it's a it's an important question. It's it's not such a simple one. I think we you need to remember that the the high court in this country that allowed our law to change to allow assisted dying did not say at any time if you have blue eyes you can't have made or if you have a mental health disorder you can't have made. They talked about what did need to be required, and the law has always talked about what does what criteria need to be met. So to some extent, removing an entire group of Canadians that have a particular diagnosis from access to safe and legal medical care does seem a bit discriminatory. And in fact, our original law did not exclude those with mental health because the courts didn't. But in 2021, the government um, decided it was time to put that exclusion in place because the law was being amended to remove some other criteria that seemed to be keeping that at bay. And when the exclusion went in, an entire uh, group of Canadians were, for the very first time, excluded from this care. This delay of removing that exclusion is what's happening. People talk about it as an expansion of made law. I think it's better contextualized as a restoration of the rights of those with mental health disorders to accessing care that every other Canadian has. So I think that context is important as we have the discussion. Mm -hmm. How much dissent is there, if it does exist, over made in the medical profession? Made as a whole, I'd say less and less. I mean, certainly when we started in 2016, there was a lack of understanding of what this was or how it could work or whether it would be safe. Very few clinicians stepped forward to get involved in the work. I think we've seen a radical change in that. We've seen an understanding of what this is and how it can benefit patients, how it can be done safely, how, how it can be done in a safeguarded way, and how it's benefited Canadians. And I've seen, you know, anecdotally and across the country, many more clinicians more interested in, or more willing, I should say, to be involved, to support their own patients, even those who were quite determined not to be involved. So there has been a shift not an enormous amount, not the vast majority, but certainly many more Canadian clinicians uh, are understanding of why this care is important and how it can help. It's interesting though, isn't it, that 30 years ago, had the Supreme Court reversed its vote from five to four, no, no physician-assisted death, to five to four, yes, made as permitted, we wouldn't be talking about this very much anymore. Uh, that's probably true. I, I think one of the things the court said back in, in the early 90s was five to four, no, because we don't think Canadians are ready for this major societal philosophical shift. I think on a, in a question of law, and I'm not a legal scholar, there was some understanding that this probably should be passed, but that Canadian society wasn't ready. You know, fast forward 20 years, and there had been, by then, 20 years of discussion, maybe 30 years of discussion about what this could be and how it could look and how it could work. And we saw what other countries were doing and how it could be done safely. So then Canadians were ready. And instead of a five to four controversy, we had a nine to zero unanimous court in 2015 make this decision. I only have a few seconds left. Have you ever said, no, I won't to a patient? I've said that when I didn't feel that they qualified under the legislation, whether I thought it was right or wrong for them personally or medically. Um, I, you know, I, I will always work to the highest degree of medical standards within the law of our country. And there are times I've had to say no to patients because of that. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.